Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. The following was excerpted from a Zoom session of Dharma Dialogues, which was broadcast from Australia on June 20th, 2020. It's called True Communication. I invite you to join us for any of the upcoming Zoom sessions held on the first and third weekends each month at two different times per weekend, so that wherever you are in the world, there's a time slot for you. You can see the schedule page at katherineingram.com for details. We're going to start, as we've been doing, um, with some quiet gazing at Arunachala, because our dear friend Noah is there in India, uh, right by the mountain, and we can actually look at the mountain. Um, we've been doing these meditations uh, just bef- at the beginning and at the end of these sessions, these last few times doing Zoom sessions. Really an incredible privilege for us to be able to sit with Arunachala, the mountain. Um, not that there's something magical, in my opinion, about that, except that, as with many places that are considered holy places, they've been imbued, infused with people's reverence for them and that people go there for the very purpose of immersing themselves in quiet and in a reflection of the, the eternities, of the, of the sense of uh, that which, in a sense, breathes life. So it's this beautiful, simple teaching of Ramana Maharshi. It's where he went when he was 16 years old and where he died. He never left. He never left that place from the time he was 16 until he died. And so seekers and lovers of, of simplicity have been going there for decades. And um, just for a few minutes, we'll just gaze at the mountain or eyes closed if you prefer. And just coming to your own quiet. your own remembrance. Thank you, Noah.
There's a neuroscientist, he's a neuroscientist and a primatologist at Stanford, whose work I've followed for years and years. He does a lot of very interesting work on stress. And he had one of his famous books is called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And his, his uh, pointing out is that zebras don't get ulcers because when they need their stress hormones, that is when they're being chased by a lion, let's say, their stress hormones kick in. All the things that they're going to need to get out of the way and to run as fast as they can. All of those hormones kick in and that it works very, very well most of the time for them. Once the danger is over, their system regulates itself basically to normal. So not only do they go to normal after the event is over, but I'd also propose, I don't think I've ever heard him speak about this part, but it must be the case because he understands, he, he measures stress hormones in animals before and after various events. Some of the experiments, by the way, are a little bit distasteful to me as a kind of animal rights lover, as a lover of animals and a champion of their rights. But in any case, prior to the event with the lion, probably the zebras are not sitting around worrying about the fact that there are lions out there. They're not instigating stress responses by their own worrying because they probably don't really worry. Now, we're very different. We do get stress-related diseases because we imagine lots of things that are very worrying or we go over things that have happened that are very stressful to us and essentially trigger our stress response even though we're not experiencing the event at that moment. We tend to do that as humans. And it's very bad for our health. It's bad for our mental health. As perhaps you've experienced, when you're in high stress or in some phase of depression, often those things can actually go together, you can't think straight. Your decisions are very much handicapped by the stress, by the worry, by the depression. You can't really function very well, though you might think you are doing okay. You might think that you're behaving intuitively. You're using your stress response to justify your various crazy decisions and, and things that dig your, your hole a bit deeper. You're only working with a partial amount of your, of your intelligence, of your wakeful intelligence. It's perhaps why people turn to drugs or psychotropics or alcohol. One of the things that those substances can do is they sort of turn off. They turn off parts of the brain so that it's, it's like the noise of the brain, the noise of the stress response gets turned down, the volume gets turned down. And that's one of the things that people will say about lots of things that they use. They'll, they'll, they'll say that it opened the doors of perception, the famous title by Aldous Huxley, 
barred later by the Doors in the 1960s, the, the rock band. People will say that the doors of perception were opened on various substances when, in fact, probably what's happening, according to neuroscience, is that certain types of brain activity are just quieted and it allows perception to be that much clearer. We discover this also in meditation or in, in nature. Anytime that you're able to be tapped into the, the quiet stream of being, there's a way in which the doors of perception open. It's pretty universally true. It's why we like doing it, of course. It's a natural high, as they say, but what if it's just a, a natural way of being? That's my my position about it. It's your natural way of being. Now, are some people more anxious by nature? Of course they are, for whatever reason, conditioning or genetics, whatever it, it is. Some people are more high-strung, just as some animals are more high-strung. But what I think is very, very important for us to consider is to not, if you happen to be, number one, a high-strung person, and number two, you're sort of ruminating on things that are stressing you a lot. And goodness knows, we have plenty to pick from these days. We have lots of things that we can focus on that will for sure, guaranteed, raise our cortisol levels levels of stress that, that that will work but is it possible to acknowledge that there are stressful things happening in this world stressful things happening in our personal lives but that we can use our attention intelligently not deny any of that but reposition how our our attention is being used. So for the most part, I propose one can float in present awareness. One can focus a lot on gratitude, focus on things that you love, put your attention there as much as possible. And of course, that doesn't mean that you deny and put aside the events of the world and the sense of what could be coming because we are creatures who have a relationship to looking at trajectories of how events are going in order to anticipate how it might turn out. Even with all that, even if you think it's going to get harder, and that is what I think, I think it's going to get harder. But in the meantime, we can be like the zebras. We can basically address things as needed and then let ourselves come back to calm for the most part. Why I don't pr propose, as some do, why I don't say that you can actually completely come to silence in your being is that I don't know many people who can do that. I've never managed to do it entirely. I tend to have anxiety uh, just due to my conditioning. I do work with anxiety. But I have learned over the years to not let it just rule 
to not just sort of lay down and, and shiver, <laughs> you know. I've learned to manage my attention. That's what I do with it. I manage it. I notice when I'm getting high strung about something. And, and, and by the way, one of the other unfortunate components of a sort of background anxiety is that because there's this stress that's in the system, every little tiny glitch in life becomes dramatic. You have some technical problem or somebody cuts you off in traffic or small things. They become big dramatic issues because it's, it's landing on an, a, a, a bed of stress. Now, obviously, in life, there might be phases that are relatively stress-free, even in terms of the events going on in the world. We're not in one of those phases at the moment, but we have been. We have, we've, we have most of us on this call have, are old enough to have lived through some really good times, and obviously, we've been lucky in the kinds of places we live. But even so, you know, things get can get hard all of a sudden. One of my many favorite stanzas of Leonard Cohen, the ponies run, the girls are young, the odds are there to beat. You win a while and then it's done, your little winning streak. And summoned now to deal with your invincible defeat, you live your life as if it's real, a thousand kisses deep. I love that part. You win a while and then it's done, your little winning streak. So, yeah, we sometimes have a winning streak. But it's important not to just be swinging from your winning streak to your losing streak to your winning streak. And having your stress hormones being battered about all the while, dependent on circumstance for your well-being. That's a very dangerous proposition because there is a, an invincible defeat coming and many along the way. And it's possible, I say this because as I said, I work with it myself and also because I've known so many people who have managed to use their attention in wise ways. Nothing esoteric about this, nothing hard about it really. It's just about habit. It's about habit and you don't have to be perfect at it either. You just, you just find your own ways of calming yourself, regulating yourself. That might be listening to music or playing music or reading something that calms you or sitting quietly, gazing at the stars or a park or out your window or sitting quietly with your eyes closed or lying on your couch or having tea with your friend, your loved one your pet, so-called, a creature you might live with that's four-legged, 
or find yourself in India next to Ranachala. For me, um, gardening is a very important way to uh, level between the extremes of being swept up in stress about something or being in a very, very blissful, quiet state. I mean, <laughs> you swing around usually, which is true, but gardening is for me very much um, a peaceful, a, a way to find peace and to care for something that is not demanding really, like plants and flowers. It yes. gives, fills me with enormous joy. Yes. And also the unpredictability of gardening. Things grow, things disappear. Um, <laughs> trees wither, trees blossom. It is all, um, you just give a little hand. Most of it is unpredictable and still the joy is tremendous mm. for me as a city girl, as a city dweller. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, next, uh, near, next to meditation, which we actually do every day together, um, I still practice. It's, for me, it's very, very important to get to know my nervous system and to... Um, to give it quiet messages. Yes. yes. Calming messages. Yes, very good. For me, something I discovered as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, as you're speaking, I was I was kind of just feeling into a kind of Taoist view of, of letting or noticing the flow of things basically I was going to say letting them be but it's not even that it's just noticing as you say the unpredictability but it's also essentially a kind of way that yeah something's there one day and then the next day something something's eaten it or something you know one plant dies even though it's sitting next to one that's thriving and there's just this way that of the way of all things actually just the the eternal flow of being and non-being. <laughs> I'm thinking about today, I have a, I'm thinking about uh, vulnerability. Is that how yeah. you say it? Yes. To vulner be vulner vulnerable. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, it seems like, well, the last 25 or 30 years I've been heading in, yeah, you can say all kinds of spiritual, you know, directions. And I guess I've been a seeker all my life. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of that has fallen in place since I met you about 12 or 14 years ago, first time. Uh, but I'm thinking about that vulnerability because I've always been hiding myself when I'm together with people who are not those sort of people who are seekers or just, how can I say, ordinary people? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? I do, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> do. And, and, and also, I have a, a desire now to, to show myself, to say, well, here I am with all of me. So I don't want to hide that side of me anymore. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, I do. And, yeah. 
And then I, since my husband died, it, it's been a great issue for me to go out in the world and show all of me. I've been hiding myself, I think, all my life. And my, hus- my husband, before he died, he said, honey, go out and show the world who you are because you are incredible. And he said all those wonderful things to me. And, and I realized since he died, I've been hiding. And so now I go out in the world and I, I show myself with all my things. And then I feel very vulnerable and, and sensitive. So can you talk about that sort of vulnerability that I feel when I show who I really am? And I want to do that because I can't live in that box anymore. I don't want to be in the cupboard. I want to show all of me. I want to be, I, w- I want to have, take my place in the world. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And I completely understand the impulse. Um, okay. In my own experiments, which all I can share is my own experiments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sometimes talk about how the deeper one goes into the sort of quiet regions of being that maybe not everyone visits frequently, but if you're visiting that area frequently, mm. oh, yeah. your doors of perception are, are often open, essentially. Mm. And you've probably heard me say, because you've listened to all my podcasts, you've probably yeah. heard me say that the deeper you go in your own understanding, mm. right, the more that you're offering understanding and not asking to be understood. Oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Because asking to be understood when someone cannot understand you. Yeah. It is going to cause a feeling of separation. It doesn't go well. That's now, what I feel. Yeah, right. I can feel that separation because I expect if I explain me enough she can understand me, but she cannot. Right. So the, so the easier path is to meet her where you can find connection, where you where you have conversation that is amenable, uh, is 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 easy for both of you. Mm. Um, but am I then true to myself? Am I? Am yeah, I? You are. You are true to yourself, just as okay. you. And I don't mean this in any kind of uh, way of putting down someone, but let me just say it another way. And I think I said it to you last week, or I was said it on the on the call last week two weeks ago, um, just as you would adjust if you were talking to, say, someone who spoke a foreign language, right, or a child, right, yeah. you, would, you would adjust your conversation. You would adjust oh, yeah. to find, you know, find common ground. Mm. And that's really, I think, because, you know what, real communication with each other is actually not about the concepts. It's about the vibe. It's yeah, about that's true. Yeah. how does it feel for us to be together? Yeah, the energy. The energy, the, the, the feeling of sweetness, a feeling of yeah. safety. Mm. Now, that said, it's incredibly delightful to have a friend with whom you actually do share concepts, mm. right? And you do yeah. share more subtle perceptions and reflections and nuances whereby, you know, I, I, I do you know who Thich Nhat Hanh is? Yeah. Yeah. So I interviewed him a few times long ago. Oh, you did? Yeah. 
um, before he was known, I did the first big interview in the U.S. with him a long time ago. And in one of the interviews, he told me, he just talked about his friend with Martin Luther. He was friends with Martin Luther King Jr., who was one of the great, our great civil rights leaders, nonviolent leader of the civil rights movement in the U.S. And I loved this thing that he said about Martin Luther King and his friendship. Thich Nhat Hanh said, you could tell him just a few things and he understood the things you did not say. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So there's people, there's people with whom you can say a few things Mm. and because those few things are so bright in the other's heart, Mm. you know, that there's a cascade of information that comes with just a few words. Yeah. Right. That's why I love to hang out in these communities. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you you find a place where you can have these kinds of, you know, these these this language of the heart, you know. Yeah, yeah. And just, as, a, we, just as we share music, right? Yeah. Sometimes sometimes you're sharing yeah. you're sharing the experience of music with someone who you don't You don't have any language together. You have no common language in terms of they speak a completely different language. They might speak an African language, for instance, where you don't even have Latin words that are overlapping, you know? Yeah. And um, and yet you're having this profound experience. Right? Yeah. yeah. But I feel so, like when I when I'm with people who are not there, yeah, then I, I have a tendency for for the most of my life, I can Like you say, I talk in the in the way that how we can relate, and I'm actually so good at that. At sometimes I I hold myself back because I'm so good at mingling with people. And in Denmark, I don't know if you say that in English, but in Denmark we say sing with the birds who you are along with. Yes, no, that's, that's do you know that? Yes, we we call it birds of a feather. All right. That's that's me, my whole life. So sometimes I feel like I've just been, you know, always, I'm so good at going out to the others and being where they are. So mm-hmm. I sometimes give up. Yeah. I just don't you feel know, like I can be myself. Well, part of yourself could be that that it's a loving act. That's a kind act. Yeah. To meet people and to be friendly, right? I do that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I what I would I would um, suggest for you is, since you already do that part a lot, and we all have mm. to do that a lot, mm. uh, but it is nice. I agree to have these deeper conversations. That yeah. you know, so maybe it's just a matter of adjusting the balance of who you're hanging out with, so that you have. Yeah. Some friends with whom you can go to the deep places or the wordless yeah. places, but know that they get it. Yeah. Right. And, and also, yeah, that's true. you know, so that I think, I think again, with the absence of your husband and that being so recent, perhaps that, that, that hole in your life also contains that, that kind of connection that you probably relied on. Yeah. I, yeah of course. Yeah. Yes, so it's a way in which, you know, there are probably many, many things you cannot replace about the loss of your husband. Um, right. 
that, because that, it was also my best friend. You it was know? your best friend, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, but that one, communication in the deep waters, I think you can find. And there are plenty of people out there who yeah. hang out that frequency, on your frequency, your feather. It's taken me a lifetime of, of training in this, actually, but <laughs> to really meet, to meet people in, in these deeper places and not ask of them to be different, right? Yeah. Not ask of them to be on a certain frequency that I'm hanging out on. So it's you know, just a matter of how, you know, how I can also be in the room because I feel like my whole life I've been giving myself away i've been hiding myself away to be like them but i, I don't want to do that anymore. but i would like to be me authentic but of yeah. course also I, I can't help being friendly because that's the way i am but yeah so i guess that's just that's just the way it is it's just the way it is to live in yeah. this world and and yeah. have you yeah. know communion with other people it's just how it has to be yeah. now does it sometimes get tiring yes it does it gets yeah. tiring to constantly be translating in your mind what can they you know what's not going to kind of make them think I'm a weirdo and what's going to be non-offensive this subject we avoid and that one and you know censoring and that can get tedious I agree so you you want to basically do that to whatever level however much you can feel comfortable with and then you don't have to do it beyond that too much no so, so I also need to take care of myself, not to yes. give, give too much away of that because I get too vulnerable, actually. It, it, it brings out fear, fear in me. Yes. But, you know, here's a clue. Almost everybody's afraid. Yeah. They're having fear, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> to really know that, and you can move more from compassion and looking for the points of connection and not necessarily needing them to see you, especially if you sense they're actually not going to be able to see you in whatever your deepest waters might be. Yeah. So that's just another, you know, it's just a, a kind of worrisome task that you yeah. don't have to engage in. So it's also about taking care of yourself in that matter. Yes. Is, is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm not so good at that. I need to learn that. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. More joy yeah. and ease and yeah. 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 And, and yeah. knowing that you have boundaries and that some things exhaust you and it's nobody's fault. It's not their fault that it's tiring, but you have to just know that some people's company you spend a little time with them and you feel like you've been plugged into a you know a light bulb oh yeah oh yeah transformer or something but but others you just feel like someone's taking your blood and it's going on for hours (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you so good to see you so good to see you again so nice yeah It's uh, great to join the community today. It's the first time I've uh, joined something like this or taken part in any kind of chat room. Um, And let me start by saying it's been such a pleasure uh, to hear your conversation and your your sensitive comments with Jeanette. Um, And Jeanette, we're very sorry for your loss. And I want to say I really understand a lot of what 
she's talking about, um, and I have the feeling so many times when I reveal something about myself um, that I go away from the conversation and think, did I say too much? Mm-hmm. You know, have, have I revealed too much about myself? And then I, I think, can I reveal too much about myself? Mm-hmm. Can I really, is there a limit to what we can reveal to others when what we're really after is truth and understanding between individuals? Yeah, right. Well, I guess it all has to do with how it plays when you have been revealing a lot because yes, it's so wonderful to feel that you can just, like I said before, that you don't have to censor anything. You, you can just let your, you know, your thoughts run through without any kind of check. That is very, very pleasure. It's thrilling actually. It's thrilling to have that happen. But we also probably all know the experience of sometimes when we're speaking, we start to sense that there's a, 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 a bad vibe happening, a kind of weird energy, a way that now, you know, there's, there's an opaque cloud <laughs> forming between <laughs> us and our friend or group of friends. And while that can be sometimes one has to do that and sometimes one does have to stand alone and and speak your truth in my own case i'm pretty judicious with that cuz i tend to i tend to ruminate on conversations that maybe didn't go so well you know in the in the moment and then i replay them over and over and over and over in my head um so for myself just the way i'm built I've learned to be looking for the points of connection without feeling compromised that I'm being deceptive or um, untrue. It's like the Buddha said, according to lore, um, always speak the truth, but only the truth that's skillful. Now, you know, you spent a lot of time in silence. <laughs> so, I mean, so to kind of sense, is, is, this, um, is this a warm conversation? Is this, sometimes we do have to say something that's a hard truth, but we're doing it for the greater good, let's say, you know, that something has to be said. And, and unfortunately, one finds oneself in the position of the one having to be, having to be the one to say it. But to, to kind of have that surrender internally of being in communion, there's this great Emerson quote. He's, he's basically saying that all conversation really is this other kind of communion going on. Or like in Wonderful World also in the song, the great song, that I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. You know, it's just the kind of, these kind of noises we make that have a different function actually underneath. And of course, it's so thrilling. I've so loved our communication just in our emails. This is the first time you and I have ever spoken because of the incredible conceptual connection, right? That's been so, so 
thrilling for me. I, I really, quite beautiful, yeah. Oh, well, so, so, you know, you're a natural poet, it seems. And um, by the way, unfairly gifted, I want to say. You're really unfairly gifted. But anyway. You're very um, kind. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, you know, that, that kind of uh, connection is fairly rare um, in the big scheme of things and is its own, has its own place of, of beauty and, and wonder. Um, but one can also find, I have very profound connection with some, all kinds of people that I might not share that particular mind stream with. Um, but I have just learned over the years, here's another thing that I, I do. <laughs> I look for Buddha nature. And sometimes it comes in packages that aren't necessarily articulate in language, um, but are articulate in other ways. And you as a musician would certainly know that in terms of the way some people, perhaps when you're talking with them, you don't necessarily find them so riveting, but you hear them play a an instrument and you realize, wow, you know, there's, that's real genius that is plugged into something that is, you know, it's like this cosmic whisper that they're hearing. And so I, I, I look for Buddha nature. I, I, I meet people and that's, the, that's what I'm kind of listening and, and watching for is that, and sometimes it's hard to see in some people. Um, sometimes it's hard to see. I, then I, I think. Go ahead. I, I think. For, I think for us, or for me, um, my my parallel to that would be that when I hear someone play, I don't hear the sound, but I hear the person. Yeah. Yeah. And and I. I, I think I tend to um, hear what's behind or the intent or um, what's even going on in the person and their spirit at the moment that they're playing. Um, sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. Go, go right ahead. It, it's just um, there's, there's very much more to the unseen than to the seen. Um, and to the to, to just what we get as a feeling from the from the person, um, then there's sound. You know, that's all. I mean, the, what we hear is the sound, and what we see. That's kind of just the the wrapper around something, the the core. Um, mm -hmm. It takes a lot of patience and openness to 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 feel a person. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to get at is just the, the sensing of, of the being and that, that, that the communication, you know, just as we have wordless communication with say a beloved animal or any animal we meet with some, we might have what just feels like instantaneous, what my teacher Punjaji used to call self onto self. Like you just, you're just blended like water into water. Um, others, you might meet a dog or a cat or whatever, and you know, you, you both keep your distance perhaps. 
um, you know, we're sensing creatures, but that we're, we're, we're communicating in all these other ways, all these other um, subliminal ways. And so, yes, to your point, it's right. You, you're, you're feeling the being you're feeling. I feel that too. When I look at like art from other times or even art from our time, actually, um, you know, that it's transmitting. And also when I've seen a lot of Asian art that is produced anonymously, right. Over the centuries um, that, you know, you're, you're getting a, a message in a bottle from another time, you know, um, so yeah, all these ways to rework our, and this is for Jeanette especially, to rework what we think is our communication, right? And to realize that some forms of communication you're going to have very strongly with some people and other forms that not so much that with other people that you don't, can't really meet on all those levels, but you meet in a different way. I related to everything all of you have said. The thing I really want to say is, um, and I felt this last week, it meant so much to see your faces. And it did again, it does again today, that, um, that you're, if I've never met you, you're still my people. Mm-hmm. And I can feel it mm-hmm. through the airwaves. I know this. And you can't fake frequency, which is the shorthand <laughs> about the way that you just mesh with some people and you don't need to speak because you can't fake frequency. Yes. Yes. And one of the things I have been doing, um, well, one of the things I did recently because I've been deconstructing my life and breaking up with everyone and quit my job. And I'm saying I like the pandemic has made things so acutely clear that, um, I had to make a list to remind myself things that make me happy. And it was so much like your list, Catherine. It was so many simple, quiet moments that I had not left enough time for in my day, the way I had been living, that I realized is what really does sustain me. Beautiful. More than the big things. Like after writing a list of maybe 15 things, I remembered to write travel at the bottom, but it doesn't seem important. And I'm so grateful I got to do it, as I'm sure you are, yes. when, when we did. Yes. Yeah. I'm really, that's beautiful, Debray. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's all, it's, it's like the easiest way is to find the little joys instead of constantly holding out for some big extravaganza. If you, if you go for the little joys, they're all over the place. Yeah, I've, I've too been experiencing a similar thing around a sense of feeling safe in relating to people. And what I noticed as a nuance is as I speak to people who are currently going through lots of changes or perhaps trauma is arising in them or they have a period in their time that they feel unstable, I found myself feeling very porous to that and sensitive to it. And maybe 
years ago, I didn't have that sensitivity and I'm just starting to notice that a bit more and feeling a little bit resentful and frustrated that I'm learning also to being a quite a porous person to people's feelings. I've, I feel like I've had a long time trying to create boundaries. And so it got to a stage where I felt I have a sense of boundaries uh, between myself and and others and I can I can own but I can hold but it seems to to be a bit different now that I feel a little bit like I consciously don't want to hold or so are you saying are you saying you, you you feel resentment because someone's energy is draining to you or yes so it's, uh, it feels to me that uh, they, because they're going through things that I feel that I'm becoming more sensitive to, um, I feel a sense of resentment that, that it's expected that I hold that for them because perhaps that's the role I've played for many years being um, a more... Um, empathic person mm-hmm. and I feel like I've got to a stage where um, perhaps feeling empathic I have a choice something like that <laughs> like there seems like I, I can choose the my boundaries I've been working with my boundaries and choosing having more choice and and how I showed up before as, as perhaps a rescuer, as a helper or a person that was always open that people came to for help, um, I didn't, they were um, patterns um, that I didn't have conscious choice with. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm not saying that I'm not open to helping people, holding space for people, but I feel that... Um, yeah, with my boundaries now, working with my boundaries and working with the choices I have that, you know, maybe I'm, my question is <laughs> getting to, around to it, um, that um, does it mean I'm not compassionate? Like is there a sense that because I'm holding my boundaries or that I feel I don't have to um, hold space for people if I feel I don't want to, does that mean yeah, like of course. You, you, you would, of course, you you're not an uh, an infinite energy machine, right? <laughs> you don't have infinite energy, <laughs> so we all have we all have our 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 points of of exhaustion, whether it's mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, physical exhaustion, right? So, and sometimes when you feel that you're just in a constant situation of giving and giving and giving and giving, it's time to fill up your own well again. Mm. And then you can give out some more, (laughs) right? But it's important to fill your own well and to your own well can only ever spill over if it's full. Mm. When you're just draining the well all the time, pretty soon you've got nothing there left, you know? Now, some people, because we're all different, we're made differently, um, 
some people can just be this constant font of of help and you know rolling up the sleeves i mean you hear about these doctors without borders that are you know on triage for 17 hours a day or 18 hours a day right i mean they're just built differently perhaps um and i think also sometimes we do get energy from feeling that our our life is is helping someone you know it's like our whole life is is somehow you know sort of dedicated to the greater good and it's actually being being effective in that way that can give energy i've seen so many people because i used to always interview activists for instance who had worldwide actions i often came away thinking wow they're made of like some other kind of stardust but I could also see that they were being fed because of the love that was coming in and the appreciation, even though in some cases they were also getting a lot of barbs and arrows, you know, at them as well. So what you come back to, though, is your own authentic self, and you basically have to be honest about what you can handle and I doubt you're ever going to be erring on the side of unkind. You know, you're not going to be unkind. You're not going to close down and not be compassionate to friends and so on. But one of the things that comes with aging is that you get a lot more real about, first of all, your your ideals about who you think you are and what you can handle, right? And you get good at being able to say no and if you can do that in a very authentic way, often it, it isn't an offense to someone that you say, I just can't do that. And, you know, and, and people will hear it from the place you said it, which was a very clean place. If you're in a place of self-recrimination because you're saying no, that will also be transmitted in the conversation, in the communication, right? They'll hear your feelings of guilt and they might interpret that wrongly that it's something about them or something you know so it can mess up the communication is what i'm saying so when when you're very clear in yourself and you basically say god no i just can't do it i'd like to do it but i can't um they they'll hear you more clearly not always sometimes people just are going to be disappointed no matter what but um but most most reasonable people will respect you for um, you're having a boundary and you tend to err on the side of overly generous and overly compassionate. So that will probably continue. <laughs> no. Thanks, Catherine. Catherine, I, I really loved your introduction today because it was just so speaking to, um, uh, to what I am, um, well, to a focus that I have right now. Yes, it's like uh, this time is, I think it's so intense. And um, so it kind of takes all of my vigilance to to stay balanced, I've noticed. So it's, yeah. um, uh, so all these things that we've been speaking about over the years, uh, the, the simple truths, it's like, um, I just feel that they are the ones that are here for us now, in a way. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it's also like it, today when I was listening to everybody, it was like, in some way, it's like it's, it's taking me this long to, to kind of realize that there's, there's no other way. There's no, um, uh, nothing else that's going to come and save me or save us or to lead the way or, um, uh, yeah, how can I say it's, um, and there's no escape either. It's like, uh, I just feel, okay, um, now's the time um, for um, really getting clear. I think things are very clear for me these times, but there's also some kind of gap between the inner knowing and the living. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe because the times are so intense, it just takes so much vigilance. Uh, otherwise, other things can come and sweep me along, you know, going with emotions or patterning, old patternings or something like that. So it really, I really just uh, really need to um, to stay very present. Mm -hmm. And um, in Ireland, they have a, a saying: "There's nothing like an execution to concentrate the yeah. mind." <laughs> yeah, it's like that in a way. It, it seems to be like that in a way. Yeah. So it's yeah. um. Yeah, it's that way for me, too. I mean, it's it's. You know, you've heard me speak many, many times about how we know something at different at different portals of our being. So we can know something intellectually and then we kind of know it a bit mm -hmm. emotionally and it keeps kind of drenching us, soaking us, um, you know, until you know it kind of in your cells. Like you just, yeah. it's no longer even in thought form. It's that there's this deep, deep, profound knowing. And um, I also have been feeling that certain recognitions about the time that we're in, not just the COVID crisis, of course, but the bigger crisis that is uh, engulfing the world, um, the collapse of our of our ecosystem and the warming of our planet, that living with this has been so, um, it's been stripping all the extra, like you, what you were kind of going to, like in the good times where everything's kind of cruising along, it's easier to go to sleep. You know, you can kind of forget about everything. You forget about your own personal death and about every other thing, you know, and you just, you know, you just bounce along and groove along. But our time that we're in is is very um, it's very very different, I would say, than any other time. Um, there have been other times where things looked bad for a given population in a certain part of the world, but now we're in this planetary crisis. And you and I have talked about this over many years. We sat at that restaurant years ago in Rome. <laughs> But I've also never felt more awake. I mean, all the stuff we've been saying about not sweating the small stuff and not obsessing about nonsense and, not, and, and, and also letting go easily about... I mean, the pandemic has also been very effective in that regard, where we've all, all everyone I know has been in a pretty impressive adjustment. We've suddenly gotten used to 
there's lots of things that are no longer on our our list of possibilities that used to be not very long ago. It's been a very dramatic change. So, yes, you, you kind of fall back into the Dharma and into the most simple versions of the Dharma of really being grateful for just this, this moment, this taste of this tea, the bird twittering, Ida's out in her garden. Uh, you know, um, Debray has figured out to let go of a lot of things that were stressful and, and turn to the very most simple joys on the list. And all of those, all of those recognitions just get stronger and stronger in this time that we're in. And I would, I do recommend that we, that we have courage, that we have courage in this, that we let go easily. Exercise your let go muscle. (laughs) And I've often said, it's like having the benefits of hospice without yet falling apart physically that we're getting the benefits, what benefits there are. And I think there are many uh, for people. I was just hearing a story on the BBC about this Sri Lankan reporter. His name is George something, a Sri Lankan name, last name, who he has metastasized cancer and he has COVID now, but he's, he's in an awake, he's in a very awake state. And it's pretty beautiful to hear him speak. You know, he's been this successful BBC reporter. And I mean, it's like that, you know, it's sort of like when you really wake up to the circumstance, then all that's left, like you said, there's no, there's no cavalry coming to save us. It's, it's, you're left with the Dharma and it is a fabulous sanctuary. It'll hold you. It'll hold you to the last breath. This has been In the Deep. We invite you to join us for any of our live online Zoom sessions twice a month. You can see the schedule page on our website at katherineingram.com for details. And if you feel moved to offer support for the production of the podcast, please consider a one-time or a recurring donation. The donation button is on every page of the website. Or else you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Till next time. <laughs>